Hear the word of God from Ezekiel and Luke's gospel. The prophet Ezekiel, chapter 37. And I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all, and they shall be no longer two nations, and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And now to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on peace and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Waypoint Church. Oh, y'all awake. All right. Um, A great many of you in here don't know me that well yet, and that's okay. Lord willing, we still have some time. But I believe that if we spent any amount of time during this season right now, something that that you all would come to know very quickly, uh, come to find out on your own, is that I am a new father. Um, So here we have my lovely bride, Katarina, and she's holding our now three-month-old daughter, Adley, uh, who is full of life right now. She is figuring out the world in her own timing, and she's finding her voice, even if it's at six in the morning. <laughs> Praise be to God, right? Uh, and, and myself, I, I am Caleb. I am uh, a pastoral intern here, and I also serve as Uh, the director of campus ministries. However, uh, during this season right now, being a new father feels like the totality of my identity, understandably so. Uh, And I have come to accept the unshakable, I think, universal new father uniform. And I sport it daily, no matter what I wear, what I do to my face, what I do to my hair, I'm sporting that that new father uniform. And so that starts with, it comes with designer bags. I don't know if, if y'all knew this or not, but I rock designer bags every single day <laughs> under my eyes. Um, and so as you can probably imagine with becoming a new dad and those designer bags, I guess it comes with uh, the inevitable dad joke as well. But along with that comes a slightly delayed response time when, when a pe- people ask me questions, and I know when, when I say slightly delayed, my wife's head 
shoots up real quick and, and she sh- shoots me a glare like, slightly? <laughs> Just slightly delayed? Response time is relative, babe, so slightly. <laughs> um, and lastly, uh, the last portion of my new father uniform that I believe everyone deals with. Um, this last one, I'm not positive that, that it's universal. I'm not positive that it's not just me that deals with this. But no matter how much I shower, no matter how much I, I scrub my hands with soap, wash them time and time again, throughout the day, anytime I'm, I'm rubbing my eyes or, or scratching my ear, I declare I get a whiff of a baby's diaper every single time. <laughs> I really think my hands always smell like Adley's diaper. <laughs> um, it's got me thinking that either I perpetually smell like a diaper and my friends and family and those around me don't have the heart to tell me, or, or that I'm, I'm, I'm simply going crazy and it's just all in my head. I haven't decided which one is worse. Um, either way, regardless of the required new uniform that I sport, a little over a year ago when Katarina and I found out that we were go- going to be pr- uh, parents, once I wrapped my mind around that reality, I was thrilled. I was simply beside myself. I was overjoyed at just the thought of having the opportunity to, to, to be someone's dad, to parent alongside of Katerina and that honor that that is. Flooding in with those emotions were also the hopes and expectations, both conscious ones and subconscious ones that I have for Adley uh, and her life. And as great as those expectations are that I have for my daughter's life, they simply pale in comparison to the expectations that were resting on the birth of another baby over 2,000 years ago. And we're going to take a look today at some of those hopes, some of those expectations in just a moment. Y'all like how I just kind of swerved right into it like that? Y'all like that? No, thanks. Appreciate that. So last week, Pastor Lawrence wrapped up our, our, our series on First and Second Kings while also o- opening up our sermon series for the Advent, Advent season, which I thought was a tall task that he did really, really well. You should go check that out. Um, I believe he did a remarkable job detailing how uh, while we live our lives here on earth as elect exiles, like the exiled Israelites in Babylon, our ultimate hope is rooted in the fact that our king is alive. So real quick, side note, where I grew up, the church I grew up in, the pastor in that moment would have said, oh man, y'all just missed a, a, a shouting opportunity. Y'all, y'all just missed a shouting moment, but that's okay. It's okay, Lord willing, there'll be many more to come this morning. So I want to first reiterate the hope for Advent that, that Pastor Lawrence mentioned, uh, because I think that it is sweet. I think that it's, it's good. And I think that it's right. I think that it's a right hope to, ha- a right hope to have during the season. That, that hope being that during the season of Advent, each and every one of you would come to know the story of the Bible that much better. You would know increasingly your place in the story. You would continue to further realize that the story of the Bible is indeed the story of the world. And, and, and lastly, that you would not stop growing in your participation in it. 
And so this morning, I want to spend this time gazing at the beauty of our living king. And in particular, why the message delivered by the angel of the Lord in in Luke Luke 2 that that Sydney just read for us, why it is good news and, and why it leads to our joy. I want to accomplish this by ultimately fleshing out two reasons, two main reasons why the angel's message was good and joy-filled. Spoiler, the, the, the first one is Jesus being born was the coming of God's promised king that we need. And secondly, Jesus coming to earth restores our relationship with God. So prior to us uh, jump, jumping into that, I want to address that, that there's a sizable hole that we're leaping over in the story of the Bible. Like I mentioned already, we just finished First and Second Kings, and the last chapter of Second Kings concludes with Israel being taken into, into exile by Babylon. And so Pastor Lawrence touched on why God justly allowed this form of judgment to happen to his people, and he, he outlined that it is due to their continual choice of sin over God, over communing with our Lord. And so moving from the end of 2 Kings to, to where we are now in the Gospel of Luke represents nearly 600 years of human history. And so I want to, to just take a minute or so just, just to give a highlight reel of, of those 600 years. So like I said, Israel was taken into captivity by Babylon. Uh, during their time in Babylon, God continually promised them that he was going to deliver them from exile, and he providentially does. And, and he ushers them back to their land by means of Cyrus, king of Persia. Uh, upon returning to their land, they rebuild their temple that was sacked and burned and destroyed during the Babylonian uh, captivity. However, the Israelites who witnessed the original temple, they wept, and they wept bitterly because they said that the glory of this new temple, the glory of the second temple, it pales remarkably in, uh, in contrast to, to the original temple that Solomon built. Fast forward uh, a couple, of, uh, multiple years, Judea is then possessed by Macedonia, uh, led by Alexander the Great. Fast forward again, and then eventually it is occupied by the Roman Empire, which is where we find our shepherds in the field uh, tending to their flock in, in, in the middle of the night here in Luke 2. And so something to note that has been true of the Israelites as a people throughout this time, throughout those 600 years, A, they were still in large part choosing sin at the detriment of their relationship with God, and B, They were still without a king who was fully and perfectly faithful to their covenant with God. Give me one moment. Despite that being the case, God was not dormant during those 600 years. And he had been speaking to his people through a number of prophets warning them of the impending consequences of their rebellious actions, as well as reminding them of and proclaiming to them the truths of his promises to his covenant people. Sydney just read this for us, but I want us to to look at it again. Look at it again. This this prophecy came during their exile in in Babylon, um, and it came from the prophet Ezekiel. 
and, and God used him to say, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all, and they shall be no longer two nations, and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And so it, it is against this backdrop that, that Israel endures those 600 years, this promise of unity, this promise of deliverance from sin, this promise of a ruling king that guides his people to right relationship with God. These would have been among the things that God's people were aching to see fulfilled, or at least should have been longing for. Which this leads me to my, my first point, again, of why the angel of the Lord's news was good and, and is a cause for our rejoicing. That being Jesus being born was the coming of the promised king that we need. Let's take a look back at Luke 2 and, and scroll over to, to verse 11. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So as our king who has been promised. Jesus fulfills our need for a savior. He is Christ, or, or he fulfills the need for a champion, and he is Lord. Now, some of us may be asking uh, the question, what exactly does it mean by Jesus as savior? That implies a sense of helplessness or uh, a need to be saved from something, right? And the Bible would, would, would agree. The Bible would concur that that is the exact situation that we find ourselves in before Jesus. In, in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul describes our circumstance before accepting Jesus. He says that, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Because of our pr pursuit of sin, a.k.a. things that God deems or declares wrong or evil or even bad for us, we are spiritually dead. Another way of, of understanding what it means to be spiritually dead, we are separated, hopelessly separated from God. Paul goes on. He's not done with our situation. He goes on, following, you are following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So God's word says that this is who we are. This is how we are born into this world. People who are spiritually dead, taking cues and commands from the world and from the devil, doing and pursuing whatever seems right to us and only us with no regard for what God has to say about it. It's kind of bleak. A proper illustration of this is not as if we were swimming in some ocean trying to, to enjoy our time and, and suddenly a dangerous rip current takes us out of nowhere and we, we're, we're swimming for, for all, all our lives, fighting to avoid being, being taken under by this rip current. No, that, that is not our situation. Scripture says that the rip current already got us. As some, some people would say, you already got God. The fight was over. You were done. You were floating face down in this ocean. 
And that's when Jesus pulled you out. That's when Jesus chose to breathe life back into you. I'm sure this illustration breaks down in places, but I believe, I hope you get my point. But thankfully, all throughout Scripture, there's always a but God. So Paul went on to say in Ephesians, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. King Jesus being born as a baby and going on to do everything necessary to be our savior from sin and from death is indeed good news of great joy because we had no hope apart from him. Going back to Luke 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. King Jesus being the Christ is most definitely good news of great joy. Christ is a title, is a title that comes from the Greek word Christos, which translates more or less to anointed one of God. And, and is a rough tr- tr- translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. Throughout what we know as the Old Testament, it talks about the promise of the coming of God's chosen Messiah who was to liberate his people. I think an an easy way to think about what it means for Jesus to be Christ is to think of what a champion is. In the ancient world, champions were chosen and, 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 and would meet in combat rather than whole armies fighting one another and, and ca- casualties, casualties being escalated. Each chosen one would fight in the place of the rest of their nation. Think of the story of, of David and Goliath. David and Goliath were their respective nation's champions. And so when it comes to our fight against sin and death, Jesus being born into this world was him choosing to step out as our champion and fighting on our behalf a battle that, again, we had no chance of winning. Again, good news that causes great joy for all. Along with, with Jesus being our Savior and Christ and the Christ, the angel of God proclaims that Jesus is Lord. I'm so thankful that, that here at Waypoint, this is not a, a, a foreign conversation to be had. This is something that, that we talk about frequently and, and at length. And I believe that it should be. I think that, that this is a good thing because our very souls rely on how we respond to the question, is Jesus Lord of your life? According to Google, the definition of Lord is someone or something having power, authority, or influence, a master or ruler. I don't always enjoy Google definitions, but I'm okay with this one. I'm going to fight to, to, to refrain from belaboring this point since we do talk about it so much, but I invite you to take inventory of your life today. Ask yourself, where in my life am I not allowing King Jesus to act as Lord? Where do I keep him from having the final say? Do you let Jesus speak into and over how you spend your time? Does he have the final word over the sort of friendships and 
relationships that you pursue? Is he Lord over the manner in which you speak about and to people? I think the easiest, I would argue, most common and most tempting place to neglect Jesus' lordship, especially here in America, is our view of money. When, uh, when, when's the last time we consulted scripture over how he calls one of his followers to steward their money? When's the last time we went to prayer first before tweaking our budget to, to make room for, for one more thing? I know this is something that, that my wife Katerina and I are wrestling with constantly. We are by no means big ballers in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> And so sometimes God's call to be generous is, is daunting. It's intimidating sometimes. And it, it, it's those things because it presses in on my personal desire for comfort. Maybe some of y'all are right there with me. I share this because I want you to know that I'm not up here, I'm not up here proclaiming these things from a place of perfection. Not by any means. No way, shape, or form. I simply wish to invite you to join me in making the conscious effort to rightfully make Jesus Lord over your entire life. Because, I mean, the saying does go, if Jesus is not Lord of all of your life, I I messed that up. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, then Jesus is not Lord at all. This is simply food for thought. I'm sure that time-wise I need to keep moving if I ever want to have the opportunity to be up here before you again. So that is why it is good news of great joy that Jesus was born. This same King Jesus who is Lord of our lives and saved us by defeating death as our champion is also Emmanuel, God with us. This is our second point. And this is good news for for, for three quick reasons. Firstly, that through Jesus, God went from unknowable to knowable. We, we see that before Christ in the Old Testament that man was unable to fully witness the image of God. God told us that our being was simply unable to withstand his full presence. We, we see this as an example play out w- with Moses on the mountaintop in, in the book of Exodus. When Moses was crying out to God on behalf of Israel to keep his presence with him and with his nation, with his people, Moses asked God to please Show me your glory. In other words, Moses is asking to see all of God, uh, to be able to see his, his very face. And so God tells Moses that he will allow for his own goodness to pass by Moses while he proclaims his name, the Lord or Yahweh. But because of the sinfulness of man, God tells Moses, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Th- this is the case because God is perfectly holy. And he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, only allowing to see a glimpse of the back of God's head is all Moses was allowed during that time. Our perception of the unknowable nature of our grand God was forever changed, forever changed when that same God chose to stand up and and step down off of his throne and to put on flesh and walk the earth as a man. Scripture says that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell on Jesus. And this same Jesus made himself extremely knowable, 
communing with commoners, communing with social outcasts and foreigners, this same Jesus beckons all who are weary and heavy laden to come to him and he will give you rest. How do we know God? How are we able to know God? You learn his very character in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus allows for something infinitely beyond us to become infinitely and intimately known. Think of a telescope, if you will, humor me. When trying to view the stars with the naked eye, we can see maybe that they're bright, this one's bigger than that one, not much else though. But when we break out that top of the line telescope and we set that bad boy up and peer into the heavens, more of the characteristics, the beauty of the star can be known. Its beauty can be more fully appreciated. This is, in a way, what the birth of Jesus did for our relationship with God. It made God the Father knowable. So secondly, Jesus being Emmanuel is good news of great joy because it means our king is a God that enters in and knows our condition. Praise God that that is true. This means that our enthroned king is not one that rules from afar and is uninvolved and uninterested. He didn't create everything, set it into motion, plop back on his throne, kick his feet up on the neighboring galaxy and say, man, I wonder what's about to happen. Man, this is going to be good. You know, I wonder how this is going to turn out. No, not at all. He chose to insert himself into his very creation. And because he came to earth, he is a relatable God. Again, he's a knowable God. He knows our suffering. Jesus knows what it means to be hungry. He understands what it means to thirst. He deeply understands what it means to be misunderstood and betrayed by loved ones. He knows what it means to be alone and isolated. Y'all, Jesus knows what it feels like to mourn and to cry. For those of us in here today who may be in a season of mourning and weeping, Jesus understands. He knows what that is like. Jesus knows what it means to mourn. Jesus himself, he wept. As the author of Hebrews, Hebrews reminds us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so lastly, it's good news that Jesus is Emmanuel because through him we have peace. And so what is peace? Again, I plopped over to Google and Google claims that it's a freedom from disturbance or tranquility. Not so crazy about this one. I think that this is a common understanding or a common working definition of what peace is, but I think that this is, it does a disservice to what peace is. It's a bit superficial. It's a bit conditional. I believe that in Christ we're offered a more steadfast and complete peace. In the Bible, the concept of peace is often referred to as shalom. Shalom can be thought of as completion or uh, complete well-being, everything being in the right order, in the right way everything fully operating in the manner that it, it, was, it was intended. We can all look around and see 
in our world, in our nation, our city, at work, in the classroom, maybe in our friend group, maybe in our very family, that this is not experienced naturally in this world. This is not what comes naturally. Whether it's not having peace with others or falling in and out of peace with yourself, the resolution for those areas trickle out of the peace that's to be had with God. The question then is, how does one have peace with God? Our passage in Luke has, has, has something to say about it. Let's look at, at verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So then, logically, the question arises, who is God pleased with? He tells us at Jesus' baptism. After Jesus was brought out of the water, he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. When God says that he is well pleased with Jesus, he's referring to the right relation that exists between Jesus and God. Jesus secured the perfect relationship with God and invites you to partake in it as well. Amen. This is why placing your faith in Jesus Christ as, our, as your Lord and Savior, Savior and following him daily results in experiencing the peace that is present in Christ himself. As scripture says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, King Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, is certainly good news that evokes great joy for all. And so wrapping up, why is it good news that a baby was born and was wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid down in a manger in Bethlehem. Why is it good news? Because that was the birth of our promised king who came that we so desperately need. And it was literally God dwelling among man, beginning to restore all things, a foretaste of all that is to come. And so in conclusion, I simply want to read again for us the definition of Advent that Danny shared with us. Advent is God promised he would come to bring salvation to his people. At just the right time, he came. And he's coming again to make all things right and new. Amen. Let me pray. Pray with me. Lord God, you are good. You are worthy of every utterance of praise and then some and then more, all the more. Lord, we are thankful that you saw fit to get involved. You saw fit to rescue your creation. King Jesus, we're so thankful for you living the life that we were supposed to live and dying the death that was intended for us, but Lord, you did not stay in that grave. You rose. You stepped out in life and in victory, and you invite us into it as well, Lord. May we look at your beauty. May we be compelled by who you are. Lord, may we trust you. Lord, may we trust our very life with you. 
Make us more like you, Lord. We love you. Pray you saints in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Waypoint Church, we're going to practice the sacrament of communion today as a body. We practice this the first and third Sunday of every month, and this is a family time. Communion is grace to us. A necessary reminder of the very real sacrifice Jesus made that brought us into fellowship with the living God. Communion teaches us that Jesus came to fulfill for us all obedience to the law, even to his own death on the cross. By his wounds, we are healed. Through the cross, Jesus makes us new. He makes us whole. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are accepted by God. That's what this meal reminds us of. My people, this is a family time. This is a family meal that we partake as one body together. Now, if we come to this meal together, we know that we don't come perfect. But the Bible says, it says, do not approach this meal in an unworthy manner. So there's an issue we have. Am I right? There's an issue where the Bible says, don't come to this meal in an imperfect manner. But then we also know that there's issues and unholy manners in our hearts, and our minds. Maybe even today. Maybe when you were rushing out the house. Maybe when you were not wanting to be here. We have sin in our hearts, and that's the problem. But it's also our source of great joy, because Jesus Christ, knowing our heart's condition, made a way for us. And so before we approach this meal, what I want us to do is I want us to take a moment to confess. Confess our need. Confess our sin. Confess as a body, as a corporate body together and say, we know our sin, our sin, like in Psalm 53, is ever before me. But we also know that you, Jesus, you've made a way. You, Jesus, you're our champion. You, Jesus, you're our savior, and our hope is real because, Jesus, you live. So here's what we're going to do. If you guys would, really quickly, just right where you're at, take a moment. Will you pray? Will you confess? And will you acknowledge Jesus as savior? And that's champion. By his wounds, we are healed. Through the cross, Jesus makes us new. He makes us whole. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are accepted by God. Now, my family, this meal is meant to be a family meal. And for those of you who desire to follow Jesus, this meal of bread and cup is a sign of the relationship we enjoy and the fellowship promised. Our participation is an act of worship as we remember and confess Christ crucified, Christ risen until he comes. Guys, this is a family meal that we get to enjoy together until Jesus comes again, where we ultimately will feast forever with him. So the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known to us as a true bread that was broken. I'm going to move this there first here. As we break the bread... 
We acknowledge the body that was broken for us. The bread represents his body broken for you and for forgiveness of sins. And in the cup of blessing, he comes to us as a vine in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. This cup is a new covenant in Christ's blood. And in Christ, there is freedom. So at this time, I'm going to invite our servers to come forward. If you guys service will come forward. For those new to Waypoint, we practice communion by calling people to come forward to receive the elements. We do this so that we can be involved together in this family meal. We practice something we call intinction here, where you come forward and you receive the bread, and then you'll dip it into the cup and you'll partake. Now, for those of you, um, this is all gluten-free, but those of you who want to take it by yourself because of issues or illness or disease or whatever you want to do, there's stations in separate locations for you to receive. But we practice this means of intiction so that we can participate in this family meal together. Our servers will be standing in front of these two sections. There'll be servers over here, over here, over here, and over there. We invite this section to come down this aisle here, receive, and go back that way. That section to come down this way, receive, and go back this way. This section to come down this way and go this way. And that section to come down this way and go that way. Does that make sense? I know there's, I should say a lot of this way and that ways. Right? So hopefully you were actually watching what my hand motions were. And even then, you were probably still confused. And that's okay. <laughs> Our servers are here. But we want you to take this time as a family meal. And when I say family meal, what I mean by this, guys, is that this is a cherished means of grace. One of the most precious times in my family is when we had our meals together. And my, my parents would work till 8.30 every day. And I would eat dinner ahead of time. But when they'd come home, we'd sit down with them and we'd have dinner together. And we talk about our day. It's a means of communion. It's a means of receiving grace. It's a means of connecting. It's a means of remembrance. It's a means of receiving communion as a blessed meal. And let's receive it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. And we receive this meal. We partake in it together as a family for your glory. Thanking you for every bit of it, every moment of it. Thank you for Jesus who made the way for this to happen. We receive this means of grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever you're ready, please come and eat with us.
Thank you, God, for this family meal. Thank you, God, for Advent. God, where we get to celebrate that you came in the fullness of time. With utmost confidence, we know you're coming again. You came once, you will come again. So we thank you, God, that we get to celebrate. Until that day comes, we live not with a, a random hope, but with a living hope. And reminders like this, like communion and a gathering of your people together, we're reminded of that hope. So your kingdom comes as you use us to advance your kingdom in this place. We praise you and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.